Well, I'm Pastor Molly Simpson. I'm glad to welcome you on this day. Uh, we're also glad to welcome Douglas Fisher. We are so glad that you are joining us and leading in music this morning. We're glad to, glad to have you in and your family here with us. If you would take a moment and let us know that you're here by signing in, there's a notebook in your pew, um, a chance to kind of register your attendance, or if you're joining us online on Facebook, if you want to leave a comment, um, we are, are glad that you are with us, and that's one of the ways that um, I go back during the week and pray over those names and give God thanks for, for all who are with us on each weekend. There are a couple of things going on in the life of our community that I'd love to share with you. Each month we have a food focus for um, donations that go to Colleen Food Care Center. This month is uh, juice and fruit drinks. And so as you see, some of those have showed up here down front. You can bring them on a Sunday and leave them um, on the prayer rails, or you can drop something by the office during the week if you'd like to participate in that way. There are some opportunities to get connected to small groups and studies. There's a variety of things listed in your bulletin. One of those, as you'll see on the slide on the screen, is through our spiritual gifts class. Um, This is going to be offered on two different Saturday sessions. It's a two-part, part part one, part two, um, kind of class, and it is an opportunity to find out about the spiritual gifts, do some assessment, figure out what your gifts are and how you might use them and what you do with them, and um, to learn just more about God's way of giving gifts to the church. So I would love for you to join in that. And then lastly, you'll see a slide on the screen that shares with you, our United Methodist Men's Group are going to take a field trip to Aldersgate. Aldersgate Enrichment Center is a longtime mission partner of ours and does amazing work. It is a work facility for adults with special needs. Um, It's also an intentional residential community and just really some profound ministry and work goes on in that place. And so they are going to take a field trip and wanted to invite anybody that would like to go um, to jump in and join them on that field trip. So details are up there April 9th, um, 8 to 2, uh, there and back again. So would love for you to join if you're interested. Today's gospel passage is a fishing story. Fishing makes me think of bare feet on a dock, moss-covered rocks in the shallow area, buckets with silver minnows flashing that you have that little net that you try to scoop them out with. It, It is learning to bait my own hook and then learning to take the fish off myself without getting finned on the hand. Fishing, for me, is rod and reel, tackle and stringer. It's hobby, fishing for fun. But in this passage, in Luke chapter 5, this is a very different kind of fishing. This is fishing for a living. It's boats with nets. Fishing through the middle of the night. It is hard, physical labor, It's people rowing a boat back and forth across the lake. It's hauling in the catches of fish. It's people hoping to boat enough fish to make a living off of, to be able to pay the help and then pay the taxes and then still have something left over to be able to provide for their families. This is the life. For Simon and his brother Andrew, for James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were fishermen. They were fishermen on the uh, Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Gennesaret. That's the same place, two different names. They are fishers there, and it is at this place that they have an interaction with Jesus. 
Jesus has an interaction with these men that forever changes their lives. And it points us towards the kind of interaction and kind of invitation that might forever change our lives, too. I want to place this story in context. In the Gospel of Luke, we have the, the birth story of Jesus, and then kind of a fast-forward to his adult years. He is baptized in the River Jordan and then gets sent out into the wilderness. That's where we were last week. He was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, fasting for 40 days, and being led by the Spirit of God. He comes back from that interaction and that time in the wilderness, and Jesus has some, uh, some opportunities to teach and some opportunities to heal, the two primary things that would really encompass the whole rest of his ministry. And Jesus comes to Nazareth, and he begins teaching in a synagogue. He reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and when he does so, he gets run out of town. That whole saying, you can't be a prophet in your own hometown. Uh, Jesus gets run out of Nazareth, and they try to run him off a cliff. And Jesus decides it's time to do ministry someplace else. Jesus then goes to the area of Galilee. He comes to the city of Capernaum, and he heals a man. He heals a man who has an unclean spirit, a demon. He casts out that demon and makes that man whole. And then he goes to Simon's house. Simon, who we come to know as Peter, goes to Simon's house. And Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She has a fever, a high fever. And she's probably had a high fever for some extended period of time. And it doesn't seem to be going away. And so Jesus performs a miracle in relieving her of her illness and her ailment. He heals her. Then Jesus goes out into the area in Capernaum, and people have heard. <laughs> they have heard that he cast out a demon. They have heard that he healed Peter's mother-in-law. They have heard that he can do these miraculous things. So people start coming, flocks and droves. Large numbers of people come to find him. And they're coming and bringing their friends and their relatives who are sick or who have diseases. And the text tells us he laid hands on them. And he healed them. Well, lots of people start to hear about Jesus. And crowds come. And from this point on, throughout the rest of the Gospels, most of the time, unless he has withdrawn intentionally to some remote place, there are crowds of people all around him. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is there beside the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, and there is a crowd there. In fact, it says the crowd is even pressing in on him. So they're, you know, really really close, kind of really close like we haven't been a lot in the last few years, but think of a big sporting event or a concert or a, a waiting in line for something where there's a crush of people all around. Jesus is there, and he's trying to teach, and he's probably realizing this isn't very effective. I can only talk to so many people, but he'd like to talk to everybody that's there, and so he sees that there are two boats at the shore, Two boats that had come in from their overnight fishing. The fishermen had gone out of them, and they were over washing their nets. You see, this is how fishing on the Sea of Galilee works. As the sun is going down, you go out to work. You fish overnight. You fish in all of the dark hours. That's when the fish are active. It's also when the fish can't see your nets. Because they didn't have nets made of some sort of clear monofilament or something. They had nets that were made of hemp and of flax and of linen. And if they were fishing in the daytime, the fish would be long gone by the time they put the net in the water. These fishermen would fish all night long. 
And as the sun's coming up, they're coming into shore. They dock their boats. If they have catch a fish, they send it off to the market. And they mend their nets and they prepare to go rest to start it all over again that night. Well, it is daytime and the fishing boats are empty and Jesus sees them and he asks to use one of them. He sees those boats and turns and finds that one of them belongs to Simon and he basically just says, hey, will you take me out a little ways from the shore? Again, thinking about Simon here. End of a long night of fishing. He's worked hard all night long. He's you know, just come off of a 10-hour shift or something like that. He says, sure, Jesus. You know, because Simon owed him one because Jesus had just healed his mother-in-law uh, at, at her house not too long ago. And so, okay, favor for a favor. Sure, Jesus, I'll take you out. Well, what Jesus is doing is he's basically uh, asking for this boat to be his floating pulpit. Jesus gets in the boat, and they go a little ways off of shore. And if you can imagine a, a slightly sloping hillside that is the shore of the lake, and Jesus getting in a boat and going out just a little ways could then use the reverberation that would come off of the water and the way that sound travels a little bit better, and he, and he could speak to the whole crowd then, the larger mass of the people who had gathered so Jesus gets on Simon's boat, asks him to go out a little ways from shore, and then Jesus sits down in the boat and teaches the crowds. Jesus sits down to teach. Rabbis sit down to teach. They don't stand. Most of the time, people preach, teach, speak. They stand up to, like, command the room or to, to draw, a, you know, to be able to be in a place of speaking before a crowd. Well, not rabbis. They would sit down. So anytime in Scripture you see someone sitting down, they're taking the place of a teacher, taking that role. So Jesus sits down on his floating pulpit out on this boat in the middle of the water, and he's teaching the crowds from the boat. We don't really know what he teaches. Luke says that's not the point. Um, he finishes speaking, and then he turns to Simon, who had taken him out there. And probably not only taken him out there, but as the wind grow goes across the water, the waves would have carried the boat down shore. So Simon has been sitting there rowing, rowing, rowing to keep him right in front of all the crowds of people. Jesus, though, asks him for something else. Jesus turns to him and says, Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Now, there's a whole lot between verse 4 and verse 5 that doesn't show up in the words of Scripture that doesn't show up on the page. But it takes just a tiny bit of an imagination to, be, to think about Simon, who had worked all night out fishing, all night long, who now has done a, a favor for Jesus uh, in rowing him out there, is now being asked, um, will you go out into the deep waters and put down your nets for a catch? Simon's thinking, you don't fish in the daytime. That's not going to do anything. He's been fishing his whole life. Not only has he been fishing his whole life, but he clearly has at least a successful fishing industry because he has a whole bunch of people that work for him. He's got multiple boats and multiple crews. Simon knows what he's doing when it comes to fishing. And here's Jesus saying, go out into the deep water in the middle of the daytime when Simon knows you catch fish at night in the shallows. But he says, okay. Actually, that's not the first thing he says. The first thing he says is, um, Master, we have worked all night long, and we have 
caught nothing. It's kind of like his gentle, um, I don't think that that is a good idea. You don't really need me to do that, right? There's nothing out there. This is a, a futile, fruitless effort. But then Simon says, yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. I connect with Simon here. I think that there are times in my life where God nudges me, calls me, pushes me, invites me to do something, and I think, I'm not so sure about that. Or, Lord, that's kind of challenging. I, I, you don't really want me to do that, right? Or, I'm not equipped for that. I don't have the time for that. That's not in my skill set. That doesn't make any sense to me. You don't really think so, do you? But, Lord, if you say so, I guess so. That's my way of saying it, at least. So Simon says, all, all right. Maybe he's even thinking, like, well, uh, I don't know why I'm doing this, but he asked me to, so we'll just go prove to him that there are no fish in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the day. So he gets the nets, and they throw them into the water. And they do this, and then all of a sudden there are so many fish that the nets are beginning to break. This is not a normal uh, type of thing that happens in the Sea of Galilee in the deep parts of the water in the middle of the day. This is a miracle. This is the work of God in their midst. And all of a sudden, the nets are beginning to break. He, he signals to his partners in the other boat to come and help him. And they come, and they fill both boats to the point that they begin to sink. Archaeologists found a, a boat from about this time period. It's 20-something feet long and about 8 feet wide. Four people would row in it. One person would usually kind of direct or, or cast the nets. And a boat of this size and a boat of this style could hold a half a ton of fish. So you can imagine, the boats begin to sink. There are thousands and thousands of pounds of fish that they are pulling on board. They see it and are overwhelmed and amazed, and Peter evidently recognizes that this is something miraculous. And not only is this a miraculous number of fish, but perhaps the person that he is standing before as the miracle worker is actually the very presence of God. We know that he thinks it's the very presence of God because Peter falls to the ground. He falls to his knees and he says to Jesus, Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. This is the way that people throughout the scriptures often respond. When they find themselves face to face with the divine, they think, Oh no, you are God and I am not. You are holy and I am not. It makes you feel very small and very humble and very aware of your brokenness in an instant. Simon is met with the holiness of God, and he bends down, but uh, clearly Jesus isn't concerned with that because he's like, come on, let's take all the fish in. The boats then go in, and, and people are amazed at this catch of fish that they've taken. And now we know that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, are there also. And Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. For now on, you will be catching people. And then it says they brought their boats to shore, and they left everything, and they followed him. A word about that catching people. Jesus is obviously using the metaphor, the illustration of this massive catch of fish that miraculously appears at the, at the word and at the impulse of Christ to explain that there will be people 
who come, who come to the kingdom of God, who come to the good news, who come to the life-saving work of Jesus, and they will come in mass, in large quantity. And Simon, you and your fellow fishermen, you're going to be a part of that kind of work. One of the things that is unique there is that fishing, the, the word um, to be, uh, you know, to, to catch people, to catch fish, usually to catch fish is a word that means you're going to catch them and then you're going to eat them. You're going to catch them and they're going to die because they're going to be pickled or fried or baked or something. The word that he uses here, it, it has a nuance and a slight, it's slightly different. It means to catch to live. It's more like catch and release, but it's different than that. It's to catch so that they would have life. To catch to live. You are going to catch people so that they will truly live. Well, that was compelling to them because they left everything. Sometimes we might think about uh, them being fishermen and think, well, they probably didn't have a whole lot. They didn't really, it wasn't really costly for them to leave it all behind. But we know from some of the details in this story that no, in fact, Simon was... uh, was an expert fisherman. And the sons of Zebedee, they were part of a well-developed fishing industry. They probably had people not only to go out and work on the boats in the nighttime, and had multiple boats, but then they had people that they would hand off the fish to who would take it to the markets to be sold. Uh, they had a, a large company, a large industry, and they had been fairly successful. And in this instance, they were suddenly very, very successful. More fish than they probably had ever caught in their whole life, which would mean more money for everybody that works for them and and for their own families than they had ever seen before. But they leave it all behind. (laughs) They walk away, and they follow Jesus. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation like Simon. Maybe not in an empty boat being sent out to sea, but tired, exhausted, maybe frustrated, ready for a nap. And Jesus says, I need a favor. I need you to do something for me. And you think, oh, but I'm tired and I'm worn out and I'm weary or I've been serving you for a really long time. Jesus, can I be finished now? (laughs) He says, I have an invitation for you. Maybe you've experienced the invitation to something that doesn't make sense. Go out into deep water to do something that doesn't compute to go to a place or to a people or to serve in a way that just doesn't seem like it is the thing you would naturally do. Sometimes it comes in a phone call. Somebody says, hey, would you volunteer in children's Sunday school? And you think, oh, five-year-olds, I don't know if I can do that. Sometimes it comes in, uh, would you pick up and go on a mission trip and go serve people that you've never met before in a faraway place and sleep in a bunk bed and try something radically different? Sometimes it looks like, would you give me your whole life? Would you flip everything upside down? Where you live and how you make money and who you serve and what you do, would you, would you, would you come follow me? Jesus calls all of us. He calls all of us in some first call. The first one that says, will you follow me? Will you make me your Lord? Will you receive the forgiveness that I extend to you? Will you live in the grace offered to you? At some point, we say yes to that one. But the calls keep coming. The invitations, they keep coming. Sometimes it is to jump in and serve on Thursday in the middle of the day to go serve a meal. 
to people that might not otherwise have a hot meal. Sometimes it is to be a greeter at the front door of the church building. Sometimes it is to write a card to people who are struggling or suffering. Or sometimes it is to walk across the street and talk to your neighbor who keeps to themselves, but you just have that nudge that you just can't ignore. Our church needs people to say yes. And in fact, I recognize that we are in a time period in which it's been like we've been rowing all night long. (laughs) And we're tired. Come out of a pandemic and uh, endless uh, iterations of creative ministry, trying to figure out what church in this day and time looks like. But I want to tell you, the Spirit of God is moving in this place. God is calling people unto himself, and he is inviting people to be participants in the ministry of receiving them takes all of us. In fact, it takes a lot of people that say yes. That say, I will do the thing that doesn't quite make sense, or the thing I wouldn't initiate on my own, or or I will leave everything behind for the sake of the other. Like I talked with our kids a few minutes ago, knowing the person who extends the invitation makes all the difference. There are a lot of people that could come ask me to do something and depending on how I knew them or, 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 or if I didn't know them at all, I might very easily say no. But when you know the depth of the love God has for you, when you know that the life with Jesus leads to life that really is life that's full and good and robust and satisfying, even when he calls and he invites you to something challenging or strange, it's a little easier to say yes. Because you trust the one who is calling. You can be like, uh, like Simon Peter, even, and say, if you say so, I will do it. So whether your yes is timid and uncertain, and you're headed out into land unknown, or if your yes is robust and filled with joy, and, and you feel so equipped and prepared for the thing that God has called you to, Either way, know that you join in with Christ to a ministry to share love with all the people in all the world. And it's happening right here in this community, in these neighborhoods, on your street. You're invited to be a part of it. Will you join me? And will you say yes? Will you pray with me? Holy Lord, we thank you for the call to invite or to to engage with you in this ministry, to answer your invitation. But Lord, we confess that sometimes going out into the deep uh, is scary, is challenging, or we're just too tired. But Lord, to be a part of your work, to be used by you, to, to give everything we have for your glory, And for your sake, you have shown again and again that that is a life that really means something, that that is a life that really has purpose, that that is the very best life that we can have. So give us courage, we pray. Help us us to actually hear your voice when you call, to not be drowned out by all of the other voices and all of the other asks and all of the other stuff that is presented as opportunities before us. But help us know what you long for us to do. And then help us row out into the deep to be a part of your miracles, to be a part of your multiplication, to be a part of your kingdom work. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the invitation to you is to say yes. We're going to sing a song that helps us to, to articulate our desire to follow after Christ, to go where he would lead us. Um, I invite you to consider the ways that he is calling um, and saying your name and inviting you today. Will you stand and sing with us? Thank you for worshiping with us today. As we leave, if you are a visitor with us, we would love to extend a welcome. Um, we have a visitor gift for you at the desk. If you go out the doors and to the left, we have a, a special just little a gift bag with a welcome. Uh, receive this blessing and benediction and know that Douglas is going to come play an extra special prelude. Um, so there's kind of a, one more beautiful piece to send us out from this place. Receive this blessing. May the God who calls you equip you and empower you to say yes. And when you go on that journey and adventure with him, may he fill you with life, may he fill you with joy, and may he fill you with his peace today and always. Amen.